I like to be where convergence happens, where ideas, people, industries, and technologies come together. As we watch more video content on our mobile phones, our Rokus, and our Apple TVs, we're only vaguely aware that the new ways we're viewing content are really shifting an entire industry. Every day, publishers and broadcasters are working hard to ensure they monetize their video inventory effectively across all screens. And advertisers are working hard to reach the right audience and to measure and deliver effective campaigns across devices. I had marketing and training for SpotX, a leading video advertising platform that sits right in the middle of the convergence of traditional TV and digital video. We help these publishers and broadcasters present their audiences holistically to advertisers and agencies. I've enjoyed being a part of the executive team that has led SpotX through each stage of its fast international growth. I'm also a soldier and serve part-time as a lieutenant colonel in the Colorado Army National Guard. Some of my most meaningful work in uniform has been helping civilian agencies respond to wildfires and a major flood here, and it was gratifying to help my fellow Coloradans during these times. And I'm a certified coach who is passionate about developing people and helping them be the most aware, effective leaders they can be. I feel a fundamental responsibility to reach back to the next generation to help them become the leaders they were meant to be, women and men of every age and background. My name is Leanne Smullen, Senior Vice President of Marketing and Training at SpotX in Denver, Colorado. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. Let's start with three questions. When are you at your very best, and why is that? One of my team members tells me that I'm at my best when I'm calm under pressure. Um, so when the pressure is high, when there's a bit of a crisis going on, I tend to slow down a bit and really kind of focus on the decisions and moves that will sort of help make the biggest positive impact at the time. And I focus on how the team is doing and what they need to get through the challenge. Whether it's a rebrand or a technical glitch or a big launch, I remind the team that the stress is temporary and that we'll get through it. And we help each other get through. We joke when there's a need to let off some steam, and we've been known to eat a lot of Cheez-Its during <laughs> highly stressful times. I also uh, keep em emergency wine in my office, um, which we've only had to break out twice, thankfully. But it's always there. All right. Fair point. Do you, Let me ask you this. Do you think that your military background is part of that calmness under pressure? Because you definitely need that in the times you had alluded to fighting wildfires, et cetera, et cetera. You got to have a steady hand on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, when you're in the military, you train for crisis situations and, you know, being in the Guard. I was active duty in, in the Reserve and now the Guard. And I think in the times that I've like worked a couple wildfires and the, the flood that we had in Boulder in 2013, I was a liaison officer on the ground and sort of you're helping civilian agencies and firefighters and the Sheriff's Department um, and other first responders and you're sort of right there in the mix just sort of getting stuff done. So my job was sort of helping get military assets like helicopters and trucks and, and soldiers at checkpoints, helping them get to the right place. And so, yeah, you have to sort of like, you know, just sort of respond. And, and I think, too, the military in my time in the military has sort of helped me keep things in perspective. Um, and it's sort of like you take the long view. In the Army, you might be asked to make life or death decisions. And in marketing and training, not so much. <laughs> so during a kind of during a crisis or a high pressure situation, you know, I'll just ask my folks, <laughs> were any lives lost? Nope. OK, great. We're we're doing all right then. Let's just kind of keep going. 
And I think it, you sort of keep perspective like that in, in the long-term view, and then short-term stress uh, becomes much more manageable. And you just sort of keep in mind that there will always be others who have it better than you, and, and there will always be others that have it worse. And uh, keeping that a healthy perspective helps us carry on sort of in the day-to-day. -day. That's a good point. What was your biggest loss, and how did you deal with it? <laughs> the summer I lost uh, my marriage, a job, and my father-in-law all within three months was uh, probably the biggest, yeah, a bunch of losses right, uh, right in a row. And, you know, each of these losses was one of those top stressors, life stressors, and when they all happen kind of together, it just is a lot of loss at once. And even when you conceptually know that nothing in life is permanent, it's the finality of it all when it when things do end and when something's suddenly gone or someone's suddenly gone, that the loss is very palpable and kind of a shift inevitably happens. So I think I went through a lot of soul searching that summer, lots of reflection, a lot of walks, a lot of journaling and uh, thinking and feeling. And you know, some of the questions I had was like, how did I get here and what could I have done better, which I think are natural human responses. But it was some solace to realize that I'd really done the best that I could in all three situations. I did all I could to save the relationship, um, but it takes two people and both have to want to work hard to save the relationship. I was good at my job, but sometimes mergers and acquisitions happen and they let the exec team go. And, you know, with my father-in-law, you know, offered as much support as I could until he passed away. And that's just something that none of us had any control over. And I think that was a big lesson is like realizing you don't have control. like. Just when things seem to be going right, you think you got it all under control, some things can happen, and it just reminds you of that kind of impermanence of life. So sometimes it takes major losses like that to wake you up, and you know, I questioned everything that summer. I thought I'd lost my mojo, I'd lost some confidence, and I think uh, I had to figure out how to uh, bounce back. And it wasn't long before I found a job, and then, ironically, it was this job here at SpotX. And it happened, you know, I was going in for the interview the morning my father-in-law passed away. So it was like all of this kind of happened together. But you just sort of power through. You know, that was a huge lesson for me that summer is that strength isn't trying to solve it all by yourself either. That asking for help from your friends and family isn't a weakness. It's, you know, sometimes the strongest people have the best support from their loved ones and their friends. So realizing that I had to ask for support that summer was was actually a, a revelation for me because I hadn't really done much of that in the past. That's a good perspective. So if you weren't doing this as a career, what would you be doing? And why is that? Yeah, well, I think that summer of loss sort of really changed my trajectory in some way because I sort of looked at what is next and what else could I be doing to learn and grow because I think that was another big lesson from that summer. You know, I'd always had a passion for developing people from the time I was an Army ROTC cadet at USC. And I was studying leadership and really enjoyed leading teams and I decided to tap into that experience and passion for developing others. So I went back to school to be an executive coach, or the school that I chose was called New Ventures West in San Francisco, and their focus is integral coaching, which is an approach that really kind of helps align head, heart, and body, and uh, addresses each person in a holistic way to sort of shift behavior and mindsets and the way we relate to other people. Coming from the military and other very male-dominated industries, it was a new approach for me, and I totally dug it. And that year was learning about integral coaching, and it was absolutely transformational for me. 
So now I get to weave that into my contribution at SpotX. And I lead two very dynamic teams full of smart, fun, great people. And then I get to coach, you know, members from other teams. I teach a leadership class where we talk about emotional intelligence, effective communication, being authentic and difficult conversations, things like that. And through that, I've been able to create an ongoing conversation about finding one's leadership style and navigating responsibilities as a leader. So if I weren't doing this at SpotX, which I'm having a blast and enjoying every day, I think I would do that full time. I think, um, you know, I'd be a leadership coach full time. And it's an area where you sort of walk beside people and guide them along and help them figure out how to be a better leader. And it's incredibly fulfilling. So I think I'd be doing that full time. Let's go to the must list. What is a must do? So Coach Leanne will kind of come back with uh, live your values. And what I mean by that is find work that aligns with your values because you're going to be happier. If you value trust and transparency, you're going to be a happier person if the place you work uh, is full of people you can trust and, and a transparent organization. So I'd say live your values. Play in a way that's aligned with your values, which means you got to play and, and make play a priority in your life. Find the people who are and the friends who are most important to you and spend time with them. So, you know, get kind of getting in touch with your values helps you prioritize and prioritizing helps you balance and blend your life a little bit more effectively. So sure, you know, we all have our long days where work comes first and occasional project that's going to kind of get in the way. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's your family and friends who you're spending time with and, and will last much longer than any particular job. So creating those priorities and boundaries that help you spend more time with those folks. And if you're lucky enough, you work with people that you love and love being around day to day. And so I guess that would be living your values as a way that you can, I don't know, live a better life in, in some ways. What's a must experience? Well, I'd say jumping out of an airplane or helping in a war-torn country, but that's not everybody's jam. With your background, I thought that was the response that we were going to get, but it's not. <laughs> no, I, actually, it's kind of 180. It's a little more uh, Buddhist than that. For me, a must experience is like consciously living. I call it, I, well, I don't call it, the Buddhists call it that, and it's Buddhist-inspired, but living the middle way. So consciously living the middle way as much as you possibly can. Life is not usually black and white. It's not usually either or. It's usually somewhere right in the middle where it's moderation between, like I said, having fun and, and working hard. And it's also respecting compromise. Uh, you probably won't get where you want or what you want if you take an all-or-nothing approach negotiation and compromise in a work situation and relationship and friendship typically gets us a lot farther. And, you know, I like to say that different isn't wrong. It's just different. People have different ways of doing things and viewing things and different ways of being than I have. And that doesn't make me right and them wrong or vice versa. It just means we have different perspectives. So kind of living that middle way and moderating our lives and responses, moderating our perspectives, um, those to me are kind of living the the middle way. It protects the ebbs and the flows a bit too, if you think about it, because we reach the high peaks and the low valleys. And if you manage to stay relatively balanced, those pieces don't necessarily manifest them in that torturous way that it can sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well said. I think that that's exactly, it helps, it does help buffer against uh, times of uncertainty and uh, times of trial and 
And also, you know, even the good times, when you have a great moment or uh, great times, they don't last forever either. So it's sort of like being, you know, living, uh, living the middle way helps sort of buffer from that. So I think you said that well. Thank you. What's a must read? So this was probably the hardest question to answer because as an avid reader, it was kind of hard to pare down. But a few things that I can't do without. I mean, I read the news every single day and two go-tos for me are the New York Times and The Economist and just to kind of keep a pulse on what's going on. So to me, that's sort of like with my coffee, it's a bit of an escape and just to keep in touch with what's going on in the world. And I love The Economist. For those who are uninitiated, I challenge you to give it a try because it may sound like a boring publication. No, The Economist is not boring at all. No, witty insights and just stay up to speed on current global issues, which make for great conversation. So I would say that and because you know video is so much part of my business i watch reuters tv and newsy is one of our clients and they're a video news app that is geared toward millennials and i think that they do a phenomenal job of uh, presenting the news and you can just sort of have it running in the background as you get ready in the morning and i feel like video really complements the written word when you want to go deeper and when you want to tap into that emotion of kind of the sight sound motion video does a very effective job of sort of rounding out the story at least for me i read the harvard business review they curate some of the best articles from the past week and and i'll i'll read that just about every day so and then i think for reading at home you know i'm currently reading a book called 7000 ways to listen by mark nepo And he's a poet, and he has just this beautiful way of describing different ways we can really deeply listen to ourselves and others and the world. And so when you talk about like getting centered in kind of a chaotic world, his words just really land well with me. And it's a book you can read a, you know, a chapter and he has thoughtful questions you can journal about or talk to others about, just kind of reflect on. So it's just been a really, um, a really terrific book to have at the bedside table. And when the world gets pretty loud and chaotic. Um, It's definitely been a go-to over the past uh, couple weeks. That's cool. What's a must-learn? I would say emotional intelligence. It is a hot topic right now. I just got back from a conference that was called Search Inside Yourself, developed by a Google employee and still the most popular class at Google. But it's where neuroscience and emotional intelligence and mindfulness intersect. And it was a really great class. And and I would say that if you don't know much about emotional intelligence, there are several books out there that you can pick up. But, you know, it's sort of like that building self-awareness. And are you able to monitor your emotions and your feelings and and not judge those emotions or feelings and then self-manage or self-regulate those emotions in the workplace or in relationship and I think that's the thing about emotional intelligence. It's something every single one of us can build over time through practice. It's not like, you know, one person I had in my leadership class thought it was like, we're in the line to get it or you weren't in the line to get it. And uh, I said, no, no, you can build it through your whole life. And I think it's a good conversation. It's a good skill to have in it. And it's something that you're constantly learning. If you, if you learn and grow and you understand what emotional intelligence is, it impacts all parts of your life. So I would say emotional intelligence. What's a question you've never been asked before that you'd love someone to ask you, and what would the answer be? Well, it's a very small question, really, Doug. It's, uh, I'd like for someone to ask me, Leanne, what is the meaning of life? I shot for the moon. I did. You know, we all think about that. It's sort of like, why am I here? And, you know, these uh, different points in life. It's sort of like, what is the meaning of life? And 
I say that tongue in cheek, but I'm, you know, I'm hardly qualified to answer a question, but I have lived a wonderfully full life. And to me, I would say that the meaning of life is all about connections. So it's the connections that you have with your family and it's the connections that you have with the people you work with every day and it's a connection with friends and just about everybody you encounter. If you can learn how to nurture those relationships, those connections, get to know people outside your team at work, get to know your friends in, in a different way, those connections that you have with others are really, if you get really good at building those and maintaining strong, meaningful connections in your life, you'll indeed be a happier person. And I think that it's true that you'll look back someday and, and be confident that you live the richest, most fulfilling, most meaningful life possible. That's it. That is, that's, I like that. That's sage wisdom right there. Kind of goes back to, you know, n- not, not black or white, all or nothing. It's sort of in the middle again. Absolutely. Here's where I compliment you. So there are several things that I could say about you that, are highly complimentary. And it all comes down to this idea of commitment. And it goes back to your service to our country. It goes back to the service that you provide for the company that you work for, and then by extension, the people that you interact with. That's something that I think a lot of people talk about in terms of commitment but they don't actually necessarily live it. I find that just in researching you and and talking to other people and finding out more about you, that's the thread that keeps coming back to me is just this idea of commitment. And I was curious about you talking about the middle way because sometimes when leaders get into the idea of commitment, it can go towards that space where it is, I know everything, therefore you're going to listen to exactly what I have to say. And there there will be no deviating from the aforementioned path. But what I like is that you have this idea of commitment, but you also have this realism in commitment as well, in that it is really a community endeavor and not just a singular endeavor. Is that an accurate statement? Because that, that's really what I found here. And that's, that's my compliment to you. Is, and, you know, I'll, I'll take it one step further. You know, you're very committed to Colorado. You're very committed to women in tech. There are all these pieces in leadership. There are all these pieces that connect. And the thread that it just keeps coming back to to me is, is commitment, but in a very honest and pure way. So that's where I compliment you. Would, would you find that accurate? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Doug. I, um, yeah, I would say that is pretty accurate. I think that the lens that I look through is sort of maybe also called kind of the servant leadership. And I teach that in my leadership class. And it, and it really does. I mean, I kind of go back to the Army that I learned very early days that you put your soldiers first and, you know, you make sure that they have what they need before you as a leader uh, take what you need. And it could be standing at the back of the the chow line as soldiers are lined up to get their meals. Officers always stand in the back. Yeah. And, and it's that commitment to, I also say like, you know, hey, if the company, if you make decisions based on what is best for the company, and then what's best for the team, and then what's best for you, you are actually putting things in a very good perspective. Because if the company's successful, then the team's successful, then you're successful. And so it's sort of widening your scope a bit to look beyond just what you need. And I think the leaders that do that are really 
these servant leaders and probably have a different scope. And committing yourself to something that's bigger than yourself will always be more inspirational in the end. And I truly believe that. Every guest on the show gets a chance to talk about whatever they'd like for a minute or two. So without further ado, the floor is yours. I recently got back from New York uh, where I attended two conferences, one of them being Advertising Week. And there's definitely a conversation happening around gender at the moment. I think our election has, has, has intensified that for conversation for sure. Um, but also conversations about gender, race, religion, sexual orientation. You know, they're happening and they're, they're happening at the national level. And it feels like a balance is shifting to a more feminine energy, uh, an inclusive energy at the moment. And it was kind of cool to, to see that conversation and to, to hear about it. You know, when we talk about taking the best approaches and perspectives from both men and women and working together to make our companies or our industries better, you know, I think that women are helping to lead this shift and make room for more adaptable and progressive companies. And those companies are capitalizing on this shift and putting more diverse teams together. So I think that, you know, at Adweek, there's this whole day at Thomson Reuters posted it where every track was discussing gender and inclusion and how to increase the visibility of women within organizations, how to help them, more of them get promoted into executive positions. And there's also a shift taking place to ensure that brands are kind of helping build stronger relationships with women as they advertise. In, in one panel, they mentioned a recent study that 53% of women have purchased a product because they like how the brands have portrayed them. And there are now awards called Femvertising, hosted by She Knows Media, where brands like Organic Valley and Under Armour, Bud Light, General Mills have created ads that do an effective job speaking to real women in a real way, or to dads doing a great job raising little girls like the recent Pantene ads. So I think that we all, you know, we all like it when people, or in this case brands, keep it real. And there's a big push for that in advertising at the moment. And I think women are leading the way in demanding this, quote, real. So lots of conversation about unconscious bias, which affects various groups. Learning about unconscious bias and how we all have it. And then figuring out how to educate the folks that you work with and yourself so that we can build the most inclusive environments. And really, I think at that point, the real part is, I heard recently that diversity is reality, inclusion is a choice. And I just love that line. And so Advertising Week was full of that discussion. And I think that brands and some of the more progressive brands are kind of picking up on that conversation. And it's encouraging. Much like the must list, we like to end on a high note. One last piece of advice or wisdom to wrap up the show. So what is your last word? My last word would be to set the example in all that you do. And no matter at what level you are, if you set the example by being more self-aware and reflective, by working hard, by setting good boundaries and, and taking care of yourself, you don't have to be in a leadership role to set a good example every day. And if you are a leader, you know that people are watching you and hoping that you'll build trust with them over time. And if you're setting a good example, they will know it. You know, and if you decide that you wanna be a leader, then just own that. It could be at work, in your community, on a project. You know, as a leader, you don't have to have all the good ideas. You just have to guide the group and keep asking the right questions, keep things moving in the right direction. And 
part of feeling that you can set the example is to try stuff on. If you're learning and you're watching others, try stuff on, things that you like, and, and wear it around for a while, and read and watch and listen to new ideas, and sort of try it on. If it works, great, then you keep it as a part of you, and if it doesn't work, throw it off and try something new. But we should always be learning and growing as leaders, and that learning and growing and trying things on will help you gain confidence as a leader. And like I said before, you'll learn that leading is not about your success, it's about you know the success that you can create by empowering others to lead. So I would say set that example. Good leaders are engaged. They sit between the vision and the execution. And if you continually learn about yourself and set that example, you're living the middle way. And it's right where things converge and and that's a good place to be. Leanne, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm super excited we got Colorado. We finally got Colorado involved in this. My former hometown of Denver, I went to the University of Denver. Very proud to to get Denver and Colorado in on this, uh, but most importantly, proud to have you as part of this very much. Really appreciate your perspective, point of view, and most importantly, your leadership. Thanks so much for joining us. Doug, thank you. And next time you're here in Denver, we'll go out for a cup of coffee.